I only really started this research about my family beginning in about May of 21. I went through 41 years not knowing any of this history and I find all this and I just can't stop because the more I dig, the more I find. It's just unbelievable. How is this my life? It just doesn't seem real to me. Once you start, how do you stop? You never know what else you're going to dig up. Hi, I'm Barbara. And I'm Hope. And we, we are, are the Heritage, Heritage Hunters. Each month, we will bring you real stories from real people researching their genealogy and family history to inspire you on your genealogical journey. On today's episode of Heritage Hunters, John Matthews joins us to talk about his ties to multiple prominent Americans. Tune in to hear about John's connections to George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, and Ulysses S. Grant. I've only really become interested in genealogy for a pretty short period, but something I've been focusing on and trying to, to find all I can in connections and everything through social media. When you know, I look at my tree, I love all my ancestors, but I do have a favorite one. And he is a big focus of a lot of my research. He was pretty well known in the late 1800s. He was the presiding justice for the New York Supreme Court. He was Judge Noah Davis, and he's the man most famously known for convicting William Boss Tweed in Manhattan. We were taking a trip to Niagara Falls. And when I was beginning my research about Judge Davis, he grew up in the town of Albion, and that's actually where he's buried. I only really started this research about my family beginning in about May of 21. One of my first things was to contact the town of Albion and the town historian. So I've been in touch with a woman named Dee Robinson. She's the town historian there and as the lead librarian at the library there. So me and her have been talking on and off for a long time. I'd been talking with Dee and following that library's Facebook page. And here I'd saw early May that she was going to be doing a lecture about the life of Judge Davis. And I was like, ah, oh, man, because me and my wife had planned the trip for June. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll get a recording. Um, but it ends up Dee unfortunately gets sick and she had to cancel. And they reschedule it the first week of June. Well, that was the time we had planned our trip. The stars aligned <laughs> and I was able to attend this in-person talk about my third great-grandfather. Also got to see the grave and my second great-grandmother, third great-grandmother, aunts, uncles. I visit the Davis family plot there in the historic Mount Albion Cemetery. Of course, attended this lecture, which was just amazing to attend an in-person lecture about your ancestor was just an amazing event. And also of your grandfather, he at one time possessed an original letter from George Washington. He had successfully defended a client and as a token of that person's for thanking Judge No Davis, they gave him this original letter that was penned by George Washington. After the judge's death, it was given to that local library there and uh, they keep that in a vault. But with me coming up, they took it out and let me hold that. So that was just an amazing <laughs> I still can't believe I actually in my hands held something that was once held by George Washington. <laughs> I've said that moving forward, hopefully other things down the line, there's future trips. And obviously with his life there, there's so much I want to do in New York City, but that's going to take a lot. <laughs> a lot of planning. I want to see where his... 
he actually, his building still exists. It's on 46 West 56th Street. At the time it was built in 1870, he commissioned the entire building, but it's amazing that's still standing there. Um, so obviously I'd like to see that. I've actually reached out to a uh, couple of different uh, Supreme Court offices and had to do an in-person tour there. There's a famous painting of him that was uh, commissioned at his retirement. That's in the first appellate division on Madison Avenue. I've been in touch there because I'd love, love to see that portrait of him in person. The Tweed Courthouse, where Tweed was convicted, that's there on Chambers Street. Been in touch with a few people trying to eventually get a tour of that. My dad even remembers. Now, it, that's the connection. And it's my dad's grandmother was Judge Avis's granddaughter. And uh, so my great-grandmother actually lived at East 59th Street, right in front of the uh, Queensboro Bridge. My dad even remembers looking out of her living room, seeing the bridge there. I'd love to see where my great-grandmother lived as well. My grandparents were married at Grace Episcopal Church. I think that's right on Broadway. Love to see that. <laughs> I just have so much to do in New York City. Is he the one who was your patriot? No, that's another line. And that patriot's actually really interesting because it's the county I live in currently. My patriot ancestor for Sons of American Revolution is Colonel James Marshall. There's a little bit of a discrepancy of where he was born. He was either born in Northern Ireland or in Lancaster County in 1753. But by 1775, he had made his way out here to Washington County, which at that time was actually Virginia. He ended up Washington County, Westmoreland County. It was all <laughs> in flux out here at that time. But what ended up eventually happening is he assumed the role of the first lieutenant of the militia out here in Washington County. He also ended up becoming a first recorder of deeds. On March 28, 1781, is when the Assembly of Pennsylvania created Washington County. Um, he was the man that was sent to Independence Hall in Philadelphia to accept the formation of the county. That's when he was appointed first recorder deeds, essentially the highest person in the office. It was incredible to find my patriot ancestor was basically the founder of the county that I live in. <laughs> and he also played a pretty prominent role in the Whiskey Rebellion. It happens right here in downtown Washington every year. That was a really fun weekend for me being a part of all that and having this personal connection to a man that was so in integral in, in the formation of this county and that historical. Again, it's just another very notable ancestor that I'm very uh, proud and enjoy doing a lot of research about. Colonel Marshall, that's the one family line. I come from his, his son, John Marshall. Well, his son married a Margaret Wilson and then Margaret Wilson's father was Hugh Wilson, who was the second owner of this very historical home in Washington. It was originally the David Bradford house, which David Bradford was the number one whiskey rebel. And David Bradford and James Marshall were law partners. So they were very connected in the Whiskey Rebellion. Not only am I connected to Colonel Marshall, Hugh Wilson and Margaret Wilson ended up purchasing the stone home, which was David Bradford's. And then through that, Hugh Wilson's granddaughter was the famous author, Rachel Hardin Davis, who is my third great grandmother's first cousin. There, it's a big historical museum here in Washington, and they actually put on this Whiskey Rebellion. These two families just were very prominent in early Washington, PA, the Whiskey Rebellion. And then obviously, Rebecca Davis Harden went on to have a, a very famous career as an author, and so did her son, Richard Harding Davis. He's my great-great-grandmother's second cousin. He was a world-famous correspondent. 
He was considered basically the man that created the persona for President Theodore Roosevelt of the Rough Riders and helped really expand that for President Roosevelt. Richard Harding Davis was uh, very close with President Roosevelt, and there's connections there. And this is all comes through my dad's mother's side. On Saturday, September 10th, 2022, at 5 p.m., the Genealogical Society of Bergen County is hosting their 19th annual genealogy lock-in at Ridgewood Public Library. Co-sponsored by the Ridgewood Public Library and the Genealogical Society of Bergen County, the 19th annual genealogy lock-in offers genealogists of all levels the chance to spend the evening researching, learning, and sharing after the doors are closed to the general public, ask experts your brick wall questions, attend workshops such as Irish Genealogy, DNA Roundtable, 1950 Census, and more, receive individual assistance from a GSBC genealogy consultant. Please visit www.njgsbc.org for additional information, registration, and membership. went through 41 years not knowing any of this history and I find all this and I just can't stop because the more I dig the more I find it's just unbelievable and what I love is there's not tons of lines but this one line out here in Washington it's just really crazy because that's where I'm making my life now I had all these ancestor two lines that did a lot here and for this area the revolution and then and that's the thing they stayed here for two three generations and then they all just left. You don't have too much from beyond, say, 1850, 1860. That's the connection out here is for about 50, 60 years, and then they had moved on to other areas. How did you find the application process for SUNS? Looking and reading online, I found that sometimes it's a very arduous and difficult process, but I'm not sure if all chapters are this way. Michael Marion, he's our chapter president. He's also the genealogist and registrar. I shared my tree and gave him a few documents and he really did all the work for, I don't know if that's typical or I'm just lucky. It was only several week process. My link was pretty strong. So it was a pretty easy, and even he admitted it was a pretty easy application. Um, I was just lucky that way. Other than sharing my tree and getting my parents' wedding license, uh, the rest of the documents Michael was able to find. And I think I was just a lucky one because really it, it went really fast. Getting into the sons is not an easy thing. And realizing that I'm going to join my son up for a junior membership because I'm hoping, hoping <laughs> as he grows up, he's already followed me. We went to a local fort last weekend and trying to get him into it slowly. He's only six years old, so he's very young. I'm excited to get him into the organization and I'm doing that tomorrow. It's really neat making uh, several friendships in this and uh, just 
just that shared bond of patriotism and genealogy. I'm trying to give myself pause because in my doing my tree, I know there's many others that where I've seen the second, third great grandparents, great uncles have their own applications. I know I have many other patriot ancestors. Do I want to go through all the hassle? It is a lot of time and money and effort. My great grandmothers, there's one because I had found hers in talking with Michael. I was hoping it'd be a slam dunk because this is my grandmother's mom. I have her approved her DRL. I downloaded her record copy and I was really excited to do hers because again, it's another prominent line. My grandmother's brothers got a very unusual name for a first name. It was Livingston. And as I dug into it, it's because it's the very prominent Livingston family of New York. So all those signers of the declaration, all those very famous Livingston, now that's an enormous family, but I have any notable second cousin, second, third cousins, six, seven times removed were signers of the revolution of the enormous part of the foundation of this country. There's Claremont in the Hudson Valley, the Lord of the Man. That's all my family. <laughs> and it was proven. My great-grandmother's record take traces it all the way up to Robert the Elder who came over. Robert the Elder is my eighth great-grandfather. Then it's Gilbert Livingston. Then it's Henry. Then I come from Robert Henry Livingston is my fifth great-grandfather. And that's the one that my great-grandmother was proven through in uh, Daughters of the Revolution. Obviously, a Livingston wasn't just going to marry somebody. It had to be um, another family of pretty equal prominence. Now, joining this clan board, I was given basically a 300-page dissertation about uh, my fourth, fifth, sixth great-grandfathers and what these boys did. And it's another just eye-opener and amazingly incredible. Another group of people that I can proudly say I'm a part of. Tell me about the political scandal that you mentioned. This is really interesting. Basically, it all centers around how my great-grandparents got together. Again, it's more of those lines of prominent people and just being around other prominent people. Because I thought when I found this out about Judge Davis, is how can I come from this guy? I grew up relatively middle class, lower middle class, norm. You know what I mean? I knew nothing about this. I went 40 years not knowing that I really have a really famous ancestor. So I'm thinking about things and I'm looking into things. And I'm like, how does my grandfather's mom come from judge this really famous and high level New York City person? And then I start looking into my great grandfather, William Franklin Matthews, who's the one that married Eleanor Montgomery, who's Judge Davis's granddaughter. And the more I'm looking into him, I'm realizing my, my last name, Matthews, was very politically active in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Delaware County around the turn of the century. My great-grandfather was William Lincoln Matthews, who had a law career in Delaware County. He rose to assistant sheriff, and then he was prothonotary of Delaware County. He served in that very well through the late 1800s, right around 1900, when he ran for treasurer of Pennsylvania. And then he was elected treasurer of Pennsylvania in 1904. That is the period when the Pennsylvania state capital, which now stands in Harrisburg, was being constructed. And it turns out there was some raft and corruption in the billing and the building and the furnishing of our current state capital. 
this happened under the service of my great-grandfather. I'm still working to get all these details. I've been in touch. Dr. McLarnon, he's the chair of history at Millersville University. He had published a book, The Republican County, The Republican Political Machine of Delaware County in the early 1900s. His book's out of print, but I contacted him. I wanted to purchase it. And Dr. McClellan has been very gracious with me. He basically sent me his dissertation, which is essentially his book. And so I'm learning a lot about my great-grandfather and this unfortunate political scandal. And the word is still out. I need to do more research about how complicit my great-great-grandfather was in this political graph scandal. Because by the time he came along, a lot of this stuff had been in place. The building had been constructed. A lot of these contracts were in place. So it's how much did he inherit? What exactly happened? I don't know. But uh, this ended up becoming a national scandal. I have records in the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times about William Lincoln Matthews and his, his prosecution in this Capitol graph scandal. I really need to... Saturday, September 17, 2022, the Connecticut Society of Genealogists is hosting Researching the Entire Family and Beyond with Michael John Neal. Focusing only on the direct line can cause significant information to be overlooked and larger patterns, records, and information to go unnoticed. This lecture discusses the importance of researching the siblings, extended family, and associates of the ancestor of interest. Please visit www.csginc.org for additional information, registration, and membership. desk and chair from President Grant. Did I tell you guys about this letter? It's April 20th, 1897. It starts out, my dear Judge Davis, I am deeply touched by your letter. Had I only received it before I left New York, I would have called in person to express my deep obligation to you. Probably you do not know how much of an inspiration your career has always been to me. You have typified to me the fearless, incorruptible judge, a public servant, and I tried to shape my own course along those same lines, as that praise from you is very dear to me indeed. With pro profound respect, I am very faithfully yours, Theodore Roosevelt. This letter, I'm assuming, sat in Judge Davis's office somewhere. My great-grandmother, Judge Davis's daughter, was Nellie, Ellen Mary Nellie, she went by Nellie Davis. And unfortunately, she died in 1899 when my great-grandmother was only nine years old. That was an amazing tragedy for the Davis family because of all that. In the 1900 census, I actually had found that my great-grandmother was living with Judge Davis because of that sad tragedy. And so I'm picturing my great-grandmother probably had saw this letter on the wall along with that George Washington letter. So that was the other thing that really hit home to me is I'm holding this letter that I'm sure Judge Davis had prominently displayed in his office. So to me, that was like a personal touch, knowing that my great-grandmother, maybe as a child, would see that. 
but that's the thing about this Theodore Roosevelt letter. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he displayed that George Washington. Judge Davis possessed this letter. <laughs> and this was a personal letter to him from Theodore Roosevelt. And what's driving me nuts is a, I don't know where it is. <laughs> So what I'm thinking is that it wouldn't have gone to my great-grandmother because unfortunately she predeceased him. My great-grandmother did have a sister, but what I have found in records is she died young too. She died in 1929. So Judge Davis's items, I don't know what have happened, but my great-grandmother, there was not that many descendants. So yet another thing I want to look at is, so I had three other great-great-aunts, but they, Judge Davis's daughters all died young. My grandmother, who died at 33, was the longest living. Judge Davis's four daughters all predeceased him. It's really sad. He had a lot of great things in life, but unfortunately, there was this period of tragedy as well. So this letter is just so frustrating because I have no idea. I've reached out to the Theodore Roosevelt Library there in North Dakota. They were very kind. They wrote back, and they said to me they don't understand. They're just they're surprised because they, they would think of being who Judge Davis was, why is there not an archive? Why is there not a dedicated set of papers, a dedicated set of his belongings? This is another thing. I don't know where to go. I don't know, but it's just mind boggling to me because his possessions and what he owned, there should be more of a record. Um, so that leads into the, the other thing I'm trying to track down is it was even noted in his New York Times obituary that he was a very close personal friend of President Grant. I have yet another thing with this relationship with Grant. He was his personal counsel. And yet I have another amazing newspaper article just to really just denotes obviously how close and what President Grant thought of Judge Davis, because when President Grant passed away, the person that wrote up the deed of trust, that wrote the trust fund for Grant's family was not only, but Judge Noah Davis. He was the man that was entrusted with the fortunes of Grant's family after Grant passed. Judge Noah Davis is the person that created the trust for Julia Grant and the survivors. I have that article. I took that, I printed that out because that's just unbelievable to me. He was just so fondly thought of and such, such a close, dear personal friend of Grant that to me, that just spoke volumes if, if Grant trusted him to take care of his family. It was just an amazing thing. And then obviously with being such close personal friends, he gifted him a desk and chair. How is this my life? It just doesn't seem real to me. I'm just trying to track down. And I'm not trying to track him down for to try and like claim ownership or try and gain anything out of it. I just want to know what happened to him and where they are. If I could somehow, that Theodore Roosevelt letter, if that could somehow get back into my family, and it would just be for sentimental. I don't care about any monetary gain. Theodore Roosevelt's my all-time favorite historical figure. And, and that's the other thing about that letter. So my favorite person in history is writing my third great grandfather and telling him how he looks up to him and basically saying, you're one of my heroes. <laughs> I'm not going to give up. These are two things that I want to really do my best to try. I certainly hope they're both in a museum somewhere. I hope they're both well kept for. And that's all I really want. I want to just make sure that they're somewhere safe. And if I could ever get a chance to see them in person, if I just could find them is really what, what I'm hoping to do. It's pretty amazing. I ended up tracking down Boss Tweed's great-grandson. And we were chatting on Facebook, and then we actually talked on the phone. We talked for about an hour and a half, several weeks back. It's amazing because 
he himself ended up becoming an antiques dealer. So he's putting out some feelers for me. We had a really good conversation and I ended up talking to President Grant's great-great-grandson. Ulysses D. Grant, I've just been chatting with him through Facebook messaging, but so Boss Tweed's great-great-grandson put me in touch with Grant's great-grandson. He was the curator of the New York Newark Museum. Um, he's also very involved in Newport, Rhode Island, the Gilded Age. He's professionally, he does, this is what he does. And he even said that the Grant family, a lot of the furniture and possessions has left the family and they don't know where things are. So he can't help me. The other thing that was really special too, is I sent him thing about that trust fund and he didn't even know that he was just blown away. So that was a pretty amazing feeling to, to tell the great grandson of President Grant that my ancestor helped his family and he was just amazed he had never saw or heard of that. So that was neat. And I feel like I don't know how much better I can do if I've talked to the great great grandson of President Grant and he can't help me with this desk. <laughs> I don't know what else I could do, but it's been amazing. It's been a whirlwind, but it's been a lot of fun. And so he was Supreme Court Justice up until 1886 and then that's forced retirement. So then he was a lawyer for uh, from 1886. To, he worked up and he passed in 1902. He had several different law practices. His final one was a law firm of Marsh and Davis. 66 Broadway was their office. This was the final office of Judge Davis. He was a judge. He was a lawyer. Somehow they mis- he misplaced his will. So there was, Judge Davis did not have a will. So I don't know his probate record, how that all played out for items such as this desk and, and chair. And obviously this is all just speculation and everything, but I'm just running under the assumption that that desk and chair just remained in that law office. Perhaps then it just became in possession of this Marsh family. Found who I think is the grandson of this Norman Marsh so I know he's has some heirlooms, is has been known to donate things in the past. I'd really like to get a hold of this guy. And sometimes I feel funny just reaching out to people, but hey, if you don't try, you'll never know. You know, if you just get ignored, you just get ignored. And I just obviously it's once you start, how do you stop? You never know what else you're gonna dig up. Tuesday, September 27, 2022, the Historical Society of Pennsylvania is hosting Rooted Genealogy 201 Intermediate Skills. Complex genealogy research questions require correspondingly out-of-the-box thinking to solve. Brick walls can loom, and research often becomes more challenging the further back in history you proceed, even in the best of circumstances. These issues don't have to be insurmountable. Rooted Genealogy 201 will run for four Tuesday evenings, September 27th, October 4th, October 11th, and October 18th, from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. via Zoom. Please visit www.hsp.org for additional information, registration, and membership. is Megan Donnelly. I represent the uh, McKeesport Regional History and Heritage Center. We're located about 
45 minutes south of Pittsburgh in Western Pennsylvania. I am the admin and research specialist here for our repository and our little museum that we have. Our museum was founded in 1980, so we're over 40 years old. We have two purposes. Unlike other repositories who may just provide genealogical research and services, we actually also take donations in house and preserve items and objects that come into us. We have a museum that you can tour for free with exhibits that rotate and change with the lives and the history of regular McKees Porters and some famous ones too. We have different wings specialized in military history, political history, our industry, and life as it was back in the day. <laughs> What we have in terms of genealogical research, I'm personally quite proud of. Starting off with our regular access, we provide ancestry. We are in the process of becoming a family search affiliate library. People will be able to access restricted items from family search through our repository. We also have city directories from McKeesport and the Mon Valley at all those lovely little boroughs with their unique cultures and maps and histories. We have those city directories as well. We have yearbooks starting from the early 1900s. Yearbooks are an overlooked resource, in my opinion, because so many people forget what their relatives look like or don't know what they looked like while they were young. It's a great way to see who they were in that snapshot in time, whether they were playing basketball or in band or cheerleading or prom pictures are fun, even in the back of the books. It's a fun way for people to see their relatives when they were 18 years old and the things they were doing, the fashions that were prevalent. I personally really like the yearbooks. So in addition to the city directories, the yearbooks, we also have funeral records. Funeral records from our local Mon Valley funeral homes have been a great resource for people who are doing genealogical research in our area. The Mon Valley is made up primarily of immigrants. During this time when McKeesport blew up into this giant industry town in the late 1800s, it had every kind of nationality you can possibly imagine all living side by side and in these boroughs and working together and playing sports together, going to church together. These funerals also popped up in different boroughs and different regions. When someone passes, we have the funeral records from up to a certain date based on the funeral home. You could go in and see what country they were born in. Some of them even list the town, their parents' names back in the old country, in the home world where their parents were from, their names and where they were from. Lots of really cool information can be gleaned as well as next of kin in some of our records. The great question is, how did my relative pass away. We don't know what happened to them. This record allows us to say, oh, it was a heart attack or it was cancer. Or, and then they have that closure of what was the relative's end of life. So that is also super helpful for us. We also have memoirs, family biographies, what people contribute or have documented. We have scholarly resources that have been published about McKeesport and the Mon Valley that people can access. Tax records. We have local church and synagogue histories. Business records where people can see who owned what business and where. And of course, you've got your maps, surveys, and blueprints. People really love that to say, oh, the street changed so many times since the time I lived there. What could, you know, what was the street originally called? We'll go to our research library and we find that out for you. My personal favorite piece to me that is our crown in our repository is our exclusive access to the McKeesport Daily News. 
The McKeesport Daily News is the premier newspaper in the area from its original in 1884 was when we start having the records. We have it, we're the only repository with access to it. It cannot be found online. You have to actually come into the center to view it. But we have it on microfilm all the way from 1884 to 2015. It's a fantastic resource because we have obituaries, funeral announcements, birth announcements, marriage records, for people who are interested in just area history, the headline news, and all the different things that were going on regionally as well as internationally were all published in this newspaper. It's a fantastic resource because we have cross-referenced it in our library. You can come in and say, my grandfather John Doe passed away in February of 1923. We can go right to that binder of 1923 look him up alphabetically and see exactly what page he's on in the newspaper. And then we can go to the microfilm machine. And so no one has to really waste their time digging through hours of microfilm when you can go straight to our cross-reference binder and look it up. If they're not there, we still do a double check just, just to look through it, just to confirm. But our binder is, we feel very accurate and has been logged, you know, double checked over the years to make sure no one's been left out. The McKeesport Daily News is really what a lot of people who live in our area or who have descendants from our area, that is an invaluable resource that we always suggest starting with is check out what we've got in the newspaper and you can find, you know, parents, siblings, children, even some of the obituaries I've seen list where they were born, where they worked, and then we can expand our search into other areas, perhaps the city directory to see where they lived. And our city directories will also list what they did for a living. And unlike other records, a lot of the time they'll even list women. Back then, it was traditionally only the man who was listed and it was just his entire household. But with the McKeesport City Directories, the women, if they were a widow, she would be listed and she'd be identified as a widow and who her husband was. So it really ties together those questions. This Elizabeth Doe, the same Elizabeth Doe I've been looking for, when you can see her husband's name and where she lived and what he did all on that document, it really answers those questions. We're very proud of what we have here. Our museum is free to the public. Anyone can come in and take a look around. Research is available. Either you can contract me long distance and I can look on someone's behalf if they live far away, or they're welcome to come into the facility and they can access it. Now, research does have fees based on the time spent and so on and so forth, but with all the resources we have available and then within our own internal archives as well, we're very proud of what we can offer and help people. If you have any family from Western PA or specifically the Mon Valley, we feel like we've got something for you. Our website is online at mckeesportheritage.org and that will take you straight to our main page. And from there, you can go and look at all the different headings and our programs and events. Our big event that we have every fall is our cemetery tour. And that is going to be held at the McKeesport Versailles Cemetery. Actors come and portray different people who are interred at that cemetery. You get to go and hear their stories. They're in costume and they'll be near the actual plot or interment site of the individual they're portraying. You can come, take a tour, learn about that person's life and who they were. It's a wonderful time, especially in October. It's just 
just perfect for that cemetery walk. It'll be on our website under our events and programming section. You can RSVP there. And just to give us a head count of who's coming, but we welcome anyone who would love to come and learn about our area. And the cemetery itself is beautiful. It's a historic cemetery and it's just a lot of fun in downtown McKeesport. Thank you for joining us today on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production recorded and mixed by me, Barbara May. We would like to thank our guests for sharing their genealogical experiences and personal stories. Be sure to visit us on our webpage, heritage-hunters.com, and our many social media pages such as Facebook, Twitter, Locals, and more. Please leave us a review, like our page, and follow us to be sure to never miss our show. If you'd like to be on the show or have an idea for an upcoming episode, please email us at 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. And that's the number 2, heritage.hunters at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast. We hope you'll join us next month on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production.